0: Welcome to Destiny Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Eric Smith. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit destinydayton.com. We're so glad uh, that you're joining us on this Mother's Day, either live or by video today. We love you. We bless you. I tell you, I, I just before I go on, I just feel led to pray a blessing, not only over mothers, but over womanhood today. The last... uh, Let's give our mothers and our ladies a big hand. Come on. During the past two years, we've seen womanhood demeaned in America. We've seen poor, tortured souls. Some of it's demonically induced. Men pretending to be women enter into women's sports and in many cases dominate those sports, that's demeaning to women. We've heard women call things like uh, birthing units and uterus havers and other ridiculous terminology to demean the role of what a woman is. Our latest Supreme Court nominee during her confirmation hearing wasn't able to define a simple question when one of the senators said, can you please define a woman? And her answer was, I can't because I'm, I'm not a biologist. The ridiculousness in this country has reached new heights. I don't need to be a biologist to tell, you know, there's somebody walking a dog out in front of my, my house. You know, someone say, what kind of dog is I? I don't know. I'm not a biologist. I can't tell you. We have reached that level in this country, unfortunately, and it is demeaning to women. And it's sad, the very people that would say, hey, we need to end the misogyny and the attack on women are seem to be the very people that are uh, at 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 the focus of this attack on what a woman even is. So ladies here today, moms, women, whether you're a mom or not, I want to tell you, we stand with you. We love you. We honor you. We appreciate you. We thank you for the sacrifice that you have made on behalf of your family. Moms are those people who advocate for you even when you're a rascal. Right? Moms are the ones that see the good in you when no one else does. When others have given up on you, your mom is, is the one saying, you know what, there's potential. I love them, and I see there's hope. So we want to, number one, thank our moms today today. But we also want to just bless all the women here today as well. And you don't need to stand, but I, I just want us to just pray for them right now. Let's just pray a blessing and a strengthening on our, our ladies and our moms both today. And uh, the ones that happen to be both. That's awesome. But we just want to just cover all of our all of our women here today. Lord Jesus, we just pray a blessing not only on every mom, but every every woman in this room, Lord God. We have just undergone Uh, ridiculous attacks on uh, not only femininity, but actual womanhood. So, God, we just pray right now blessing and strength and power and grace on every lady in here in the name of Jesus Christ. Father God, I pray that this attack on truth and our culture would be revealed and exposed for what it is in the name of Jesus God, this is a, a Luciferian attack on gender, and God, we just come against her right now in the name of Jesus. God, we're going to speak the truth in love. God, we're going to uphold what womanhood is. We're going to uphold what manhood is, Lord Jesus. We thank you for our ladies today, our moms, God. We bless them. We thank you for their lives, their heart, their sacrifice, and their commitment. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Everyone say amen. Amen. Now you can get your Bible out and stand up. All right. Acts chapter one. Don't forget after service. Ladies there will be some kind person with some chocolate for you uh, in the back. So make sure you get that on your way out. If uh, if you have someone in your radius who's a mother and they're sick today and not able to make it, you uh, we may have enough to be able to send home with you and and you can bless them with some chocolate also. So here we go. Acts chapter one. I hope you're caffeinated. Are you with me today? Amen. This side over here, we're looking a little straggly today. I love you guys, but we've got a. this looks like the, the social distance side right here. I don't know. This side don't care about social distance. This side does. I don't know. I don't think that's the case, but uh, we, we want to hear some strong voices on this side over here. All right, here we go. Acts chapter one. We're going to start with uh, verse one. I'm going to read to verse eight. Uh, just give you just a quick little background. You know, the uh, Pentecost Sunday is coming up at the end of this month. So I thought this was a great time to spend a few weeks talking about the Upper Room Blueprint. I want to talk about what Pentecost means to the church, what it means to us. I'm going to take some deep dives during the next few weeks. Today, I just want kind to of pull back and give just kind of a thousand-foot view uh, of what Pentecost means for us. And I, in doing so, uh, uh, I want us to encounter it. As you have hear, hear me say today, and I've said this before, uh, uh, my interest in preaching and my call to preach isn't so much to give people information in their heads. I want to preach so people can have an encounter in their hearts. Amen? Amen? That, that to me, that is the pinnacle of preaching, not so I can learn new principles, no, not so I can have, you know, notes that I can write down. And I love notes. And if you take notes, God bless you, keep doing it. But I want to tell you, the purpose of preaching is not to disseminate information. It's to, it's to facilitate transformation. Hello. Amen. Acts chapter one. Here we go. Someone say, get with it, pastor. Here we go. Acts chapter one. I wrote the former account, Theophilus. About all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, if I was just trying to put knowledge in your head, I would remind you that this is written by Dr. Luke, who also wrote the Gospel, Luke, right? He mentions Theophilus at the beginning of Luke also. About all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after he had given orders by the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen, verse 3. To the same apostles, also after his suffering, he presented himself alive with many convincing proofs. He was seen by them over a 40-day period and spoke about matters concerning the kingdom of God. While he was with them, he declared, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait there for what my father promised, which you have heard about from me. For John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had gathered together, they began to ask him, Lord, is this the time when you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? I want to tell you, talking about not getting it until the last minute. (coughs) Here we are. Hello. He told them. You are not permitted to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by His own authority. But you will receive power. Now, now notice here, now see this is such a great message right here in these two verses. They were asking for information. And Jesus was trying to steer them to Transformation. Lord, we want to know the dates and the times. Come on, we give me a, give us a prophecy prophecy seminar, Lord. We wanna we want to know who you know the the ten horns in Revelation are. Right? When I was a kid, that used to be the European Union, but now they have a problem because there's like twenty seven countries in the European Union. So that that ten horn explanation kind of fell by the wayside back there in the in the early nineties, right? So we will give us answers. We want information, and Jesus said it's not not for you to know the times and the periods. In other words, the information you're seeking, forget about it. All you need to know is this. Livers of 70 years plus on this planet. See, here's the thing. We've got just this. We've got this little. Here's the timeline. The timeline of history is like from that wall to this wall, right? And that's this is not scale. All right. But here's our place right there. there. Here's our little spot on the wall on the line. See that? Can you see why it's not important for us to know why? Does that make sense? If the timeline was there to that wall, to that cross, and we filled up that much of that timeline, you can see why that's such a worthless question. It would be interesting to know. Yes, it would be, but it's not relevant. We have got a time that God has put us on this planet to make a difference in His intent. This is popping like terrible. Can we do something with that? The, the, the intent here is that we get full of the power of the Holy Spirit and make a difference on the planet on the little time that we are here, that we point as many people to Jesus as we can. That's why preaching should not be just. Dis- disseminating information. We want to facilitate transformation. We want people to encounter Christ because there's a lot of smart people going to hell today. There's a lot of smart people that got information, but they lack the transformation. Come on. There's people sitting in church today. They got all kinds of information, but they have never had an encounter with Jesus Christ that changed their life. Where was I? Okay. Okay. Back to it. It's not for you to know the times, the periods the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the farthest parts of the earth. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the power of your word. I pray, God, you would speak to every heart in this room today. Jesus, I pray that we would have encounters with You. Lord, I know some have already encountered You this morning. They, they encountered Your healing. Some right now are being healed in their spirit, in their emotions, in their body while we still speak. I thank You for that, Lord Jesus. But I pray that those who need an encounter with You to transform their life in the name of Jesus, may they have that encounter in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you Jesus, you may be seated. This upper room blueprint, I want you to understand a couple of things. It doesn't matter if you're Lutheran, if you're Baptist, if you're Catholic, if you're Assembly of God, if you're Presbyterian, it doesn't Episcopalian, it doesn't matter what church You have belonged to, belong to now, or or grew up in. The reality is, and and listen, no matter what they believe or what they practice, here's something that we need to understand. Every single church on this planet has its roots firmly planted in an upper room. 2,000 years ago where there was a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind and the flames of fire came and sat on everyone's head that was in that prayer meeting and everyone was speaking in tongues. Every single church has its roots in Pentecost. They may deny it now. They may not practice it now. They may not even buy it now. But I want to tell you, they cannot deny they were birthed in the same upper room as you and I that night my friend, is the scope and the power of Pentecost. Every single church on this planet, every single believer has to point back to that moment in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. We didn't quite read that far yet, but we'll get to it here in this series. But every single believer, every single church has to point to that moment and admit and confess that that is the day our church was born. This upper room Blueprint changed everything. It changed everything. And here's what I want to insert today that upper room blueprint should be continuing to change everything today. Evil didn't die after the day of Pentecost. When Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, right? Evil didn't die then. Satan didn't say, you're right, enough, I'm out. On the day of Pentecost, when there was a mighty rushing wind and the power of God displayed came and fell on those believers that over, whatever, 120 or so gathered there in the upper room. I want to tell you, the enemy may have been frightened, but he didn't say, okay, I'm done. We understand that the enemy will continue to do what he does until he is no longer allowed to do it. But we also understand God laid a blueprint in hand. He showed us how to defeat the enemy. He showed us how to overcome evil. Uh, hello, are you here today? He showed us how he showed us what it takes. He showed us what a church looks like. If we are following that blueprint, that's on whoever's not following that blueprint. But that's exactly what Jesus intended 2000 years ago. Here is the blueprint. Here is how we approach this planet. And it was all about expanding the kingdom of God. God. This blueprint has some elements to it that I want to touch on this morning because this blueprint, I believe, is the standard. I believe this is the blueprint that God wants us to be all about. He wants us to be all in with. And I want you to see what every church, when I say we and you're about to see we words and sentences and statements, understand that means every church Every believer, all of us, unpaid staff, volunteers, people that don't volunteer. If you have Jesus in your heart, you're part of this. Hello, it's time to get off the sidelines and get in the game. Oh, there's no room for me in the game. Oh, yes, there is. You make your own way in. Don't wait for an invitation. Those people you work with and go to school with, they're not going to give you an invitation to come witness to them, probably. Those people in your household that aren't believers, they're not going to, probably aren't going to sit down and say, Now, can you explain the way of salvation again to me? Because I'm I'm ready to fall on my knees and say, What must I do to be saved? But I need to hear it from you first. They're not going to say that. Right? The people that you go to class with, they're not going to lean over and say, hey, I'm ready to get saved. Can you just you know, give me the blueprint one more time? That may happen here and there. But I want to tell you, I don't know what invitation people in the church are waiting for. But I consider what we read in Acts chapter 1 and 2, the grand invitation to come and drink and get involved and get in the game and get on the field and exercise the God-given power that he has put inside of you. This is what I want you to see. Because as Pentecostals, the church today, we exist for apostolic mission. We exist. That's why Jesus said in in verse 4 and 5 that we just read, He said, don't leave Jerusalem. There needs to be an equipping that needs to happen. Nothing was to begin. No preaching, no mission, no missionary journeys, no church planting, no conferences, no teen conferences, no kid conferences, right? No, no, no Facebook pages. Nothing was to happen until they received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You see here in lies a powerful proof of your own salvation. This is what Paul said. You must test yourself to see if you're really in the faith. What am I testing for, Pastor Eric? Well, the Bible tells us that inside of every born-again Christian, there is a go. There's a go. Are you with me? There should be a go inside of you. Because nobody gets saved just to get saved. No one gets saved just for the sake of salvation. Hear me. If you have come to Jesus and you have surrendered him and you are made new by him, by his Holy Spirit, he has put a go inside of you. It doesn't mean you're to go to China, although you might. It doesn't mean you'll even go on a mission trip for the month of February sometime to Africa, although you might. But what it does mean, there is something resident inside of you that disturbs you, that's causing you to look around you and say, wait a second. All these people that don't know Jesus are going to go to hell unless they have an encounter with Jesus. You must have that, my friend. You can't make an argument for your salvation if you haven't don't don't have that go. And you can say, well, I've said the prayer. Well, did that prayer lead to salvation? See, we've gotten into reductionism in the kingdom of God. Well, I said a prayer. Wonderful. Tell me about your life after the prayer. Is it different? I asked someone that the other day. Is your life different? like, well, no, not really. Uh, you, you, you have every right to question what you got then. Because nobody gets saved. There is a go inside of us. In fact, you guys remember Reinhard Bonnke? Hopefully. Yeah. Awesome. This congregation does better with that question than any others I've ever preached. When I asked that, there's people looking around bonkey, bonkey. Reinhard Bonkey was a German born evangelist. God gave him a vision of the nation of the nations in Africa dripping with the blood of Jesus. And it said Af- the vision said, Africa shall be saved. Billy Graham is well known in America. If you go to Africa. You, you can about ask any, I was in Tanzania with Julie, right, a couple of years ago, and I asked some guys in a car, hey, you guys ever heard of Reinhard Bonnke? And all the guys from America, like, eh, what, what? All the guys from Tanzania said, oh, yeah. We've been to his crusade. See, Reinhard Bonnke was the Billy Graham of Africa. Reinhard Bonnke, to my knowledge, is the only person on the planet who ever preached and had 1.1 million people come forward for salvation. The nation of Nigeria was closed because of the Muslim government. And finally, when that began to change, they, they welcomed him back in. It had been years since he had been to Laos, I believe, is the capital, Lagos, Lagos, Nigeria. He was welcomed, And he had like 1.5 million people. You all see the video. It's incredible. 1.5 million people in the audience. Outdoor. Powerful. He had 1.1 million cards turned in. People giving their life to Jesus. Reinhard Bonkey said the gospel, the entire Bible comes down to two words come and go. Come to me, all you who are weary, with heavy laden, with heavy burden, and I will give you rest. And once you come to Jesus, the next message is go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. That's what he says. The go and the come, or the come and the go. Those are the two words that sum up the Gospel. It sums up the entire Bible. Therefore, every single church, this is their mission. Hello. I think a lot of, and I've been guilty of this, we try to overthink our mission statements and our vision statements. and like, why, why should we? It's real simple. Every Bible-believing church should have the same mission. It's an apostolic mission to expand the kingdom of God. But here's what you hear. Well, well you know, uh, we're a serving church. Oh, well, that's wonderful. Uh, we're a social justice church. That's fine. Or we're an outreach church or we're a praying church. Listen, those things are only an expression of the church. Those aren't the mission of the church. The miss. Are you hearing? Are you here? Hello. Are we here? The mission of the church is to go with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We go to preach and share the gospel to do what? In order to expand the kingdom of God. This is our mission. Whether you have a microphone in your hand or not, whether you get a paycheck to do it or not, irrelevant. We are all called to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to this planet. It is what we've been saved for it's what we've been redeemed for it's what god has called us to do it's the mission of every bible believing church actually now notice that pentecost immediately brought this to bear right the power of pentecost brings god's power into the now You've heard me talk about imminent grace, and I love that phrase. But imminent grace—this is how we want to preach, and this is how we want to present the gospel. Imminent grace means God not only heals. Because how many times do you hear? Well, we believe God heals, brother. We'll be praying for that knee for you. Imminent grace says God heals now. We'll lay hands on it now. Imminent grace, it's now. Even salvation, it's a now thing. Now is the time. Today is the day. Healing is a now thing. Deliverance is a now thing. This is our apostolic mission. There is a powerful go. There is a powerful now element in the gospel. That's what makes Pentecost incredibly relevant. This is why the devil wants to silence it. This is why the devil will let you do anything. Anything to get people in the door. But don't talk about Bruno, some of you look at me like, don't talk about Pentecost. He who has ears to hear, let him hear there. If you don't know, it's okay. That's how we treat Pentecost, though, in Pentecostal churches sometimes. We want to relegate Bruno. I'll just stay with it because some of you are with me and We'll relegate we've hid Bruno in the walls. We've hid the prophetic and we've hit the prophetic and wondering why our power is going out in the house. We've hid the power of God because we're embarrassed because it's a little crazy. So we're going to hide it and we're wondering why there's no miracles being given out anymore. I got, I got an analogy that I could just lay out for the rest of that movie, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go on right here. It's imminent grace. It's now. This is the power of Pentecost. It's now. Really, when you think about it, revival is just Pentecost. What we're praying for is just an expression of Pentecost. Pentecost. Hello. I know y'all are with me. You're smiling and nodding. You're just awful quiet. Like you need to be caffeinated today. Come on. (laughs) There is a powerful now element of what Jesus has for you today. There is a powerful go element inside of us if we know him. And if we're not going in some form or fashion, then we're probably either we don't know the Lord or we're suppressing it. And we've suppressed it for so long. And it's easy to suppress it because in modern times and contemporary times, it's easy to pass the buck to those who get paid. Well, we have an outreach pastor for that. Tell Pastor Raekwon. He'll do it. He'll go pray with people. Now, see, Pastor Raquan is trying to get you to understand that he wants you to be empowered to go, go pray for your own people go pray for your own family. Go pray with the people you work with, work with the way he does and the way Carla does, right? That, that's what he, that's his heart to, to impart that, that we've got that inside of us. We just got to go. We have to carry it. We have to take the risk. We have to, and, and not work. Let the chips fall where they may. When the Holy spirit fell, we, are, we had the 120 in the upper room, the mighty rushing wind flames of fire. Everybody had a flame on their head. Everybody was speaking in tongues. Something interesting happened in that moment. Everybody outside of this outdoor mall, upper room type feel. Can you imagine like 120 people were gathered at the green Imagine they were in a, in a, one of those stores and the store had no windows. It was just kind of like, maybe like a patio. like, let's say you're eating the cheesecake factory, but you had a prayer meeting out on their patio, right? So you had 120 people crammed in on their patio and everybody was praying in tongues loudly. (laughs) Ah, we're getting the picture. People are gathering around What? and it's, it's Christmas Eve. Let me add that it's Christmas Eve. There's a lot of people there, all kinds of people like, who are those? Those are drunk people, honey. Don't, Don't look, don't let your eyes meet their eyes. And they began hearing their native languages being spoken. And it wasn't just hi, how you're doing. They were saying and speaking the high praises of God. And in that moment, the Bible says that Peter, the apostle Peter, he stood up among the 11 and they went out and spoke to the crowd. You see, this is why I want to tell you, we, and I know this church can handle what I'm about to say, but we can't just pray. Somebody has to get up and go outside and preach Jesus. Jesus. We are all, here's the thing. We are all responsible to get up and go tell somebody about Jesus. People say, man, it'd be great if we had everybody in America praying for revival. It would, that would be fantastic. I, I, I pray that happens, but I want to tell you, even if that happened, we would still need somebody to get up and preach the gospel. We would need still people to get up and share Jesus. Because I want to tell you, nothing will happen until someone stands up and preaches this gospel and and proclaims this message. we can and and i if i was going to say hey we're a praying church I, you know and i know everyone understands that and we are and we do and we believe in that but let's let us never think is this okay to say we, we can't just think that's enough that we do that on wednesday night and and and, and monday night and in you know, here and there throughout the week can, can, can we understand that that is that must happen but we can't expect that alone because there is a proclamation of the gospel. The apostle Peter stood. we have to understand that next element in this. We pray for the power. Then we go proclaim the power and the power that we prayed for meets us. And those spoken word of the gospel meets with the power of prayer that has come and they come together. Like two fists of dynamite in somebody's heart. Imagine you're, you're witnessing to somebody. You're sharing Jesus with somebody, but you didn't come dry. You've been praying. You've been seeking the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been meeting with the body of Christ, and you've had brothers and sisters laying hands on you, and you're praying, and you're seeking God, but then you decide to go out, and there's another level, right? You're going to share Jesus with somebody, and because you prayed and because you're taking that step, suddenly in the invisible realm, there are two fists of dynamite that come inside of that person's both you see this this mission my friends it, it, we got to understand there's two legs there's two legs to this apostolic mission we have the leg of prayer and then we have the leg of preaching right if we only pray we'll hobble around on one leg if we only preach we'll hobble around on one leg we have to pray and preach and by preaching i mean the proclamation of the gospel at work, at school, at play, in your home, in your neighborhood, on the pulpit, out of the pulpit. doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter. Paycheck, no paycheck. The upper room blueprint reveals that we exist for an apostolic mission. It also reveals something else here disconnected to what I just said. We preach a transformative gospel. The gospel we preach is a gospel of transformation. Look at Acts 2.22, if you want to flip over a page or two in your Bible. Just read this. Men of Israel, listen. Listen to these words. Here it is. Jesus, the Nazarene. This is what Peter said when he stood up. Are you ready? Real simple. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man clearly attested to you by God with powerful deeds, wonders, and miraculous signs that God performed among you through him. Just as you yourselves know, this man who was handed over by the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God, you executed by nailing him to a cross at the hands of the Gentiles. But God raised him up, having released him from the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held in its power. I want to tell you, this is important to understand, my friends. The gospel is not called good history. It's called good news. History is something that happened in the past. For something to be news, it has to happen today. The gospel is the good news. The gospel is not good history. The gospel is happening today. It is the powerful message of Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, resurrected, alive, and has power in his hand to transform your life. That, my friend, is the message today that everyone needs to hear. It is not history. It is actually happening today. That's why it's good news, not good history. So listen, we're not called to preach good history. We're called to preach the good news. So we don't approach the gospel as something that happened 2,000 years ago. It did. But here's the thing. The power of it is still as real and as relevant today as it's ever been in the past. That's why it's good news. That's why we talk about imminent grace. God's power is available today to transform you. It's good news. The Bible shows us that when the gospel is preached the gospel happens it has the p- power it had the p- p- power <laughs> it has the power to perform itself think about that the gospel message carries the power to perform itself your sanctification is in that preached gospel When we preach the gospel and we share the gospel and someone receives that and they believe and they put their faith in Christ, listen, that saving power, the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit Comes and transforms somebody. That's why we say when we quote the scripture, the old has gone, the new has come. If any man be in Christ, they are a new creation. The old God has put a new heart. Prophetically, this was spoken about in the old testament through the prophets when God said, I will take their heart of stone, and I will give them a heart of flesh, and their law, my laws will be written on their heart. In other words, inside of them there will be the power. Power to know the saving grace and the saving power of God to keep the word of God not to miss it and not to be hardened to it but to live it out because it's coming from inside of you it's a transformative gospel Whew. I want to tell you God has zero obligation to respond to pop psychology preached in the pulpits today A little psychology with a little Jesus lingo and a Bible verse. God has no obligation to respond to that. If we want the original results, we must preach the original gospel message. It's really simple. There's an old saying amongst preachers, some of you have heard me say it, but you get what you preach. If you want healing, you preach healing. If you want to see people saved, preach salvation. You want to see people baptized in the Holy Spirit. You preach the baptism in the Holy Spirit. All these things are part of the gospel message, right? All of that is part. We have to emphasize those things. Maybe be, maybe be if we built some banners like prayer stations and had those three words on them in the sanctuary. Maybe we can do that. You will get what you preach. I tell this to preachers all the time. You, 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 you know, I'll say it this way. You want to preach to the fruit that you want to see. If you want to see change lives, right, we need to preach the gospel. The power of Jesus changes lives. We preach that. You preach that, you'll get that fruit. The Bible tells us that we preach a transformative gospel. Mark 16, 15. This is the go verse, right? Go and preach the gospel to every creature. And these signs will follow those that believe. They will be, you'll, you'll see the sick healed. You'll see the dead raised. You'll see demons cast out. You'll see everyone's, those filled speak with new tongues, right? You'd, Mark 16, 15, 7, 16 and 17. We understand that the gospel message we preach is transformative. So we exist for an apostolic. Mission. We preach a transformative gospel. And finally, I'm closing this upper room blueprint right here. We exercise Pentecostal power. You see, there's always confirmation of the gospel being preached. We see that in the Bible, we see that in early church history. There is this confirmation of the gospel preached. This is what this is. Some of the hang up some have. They Well, you know, we don't need that anymore. I don't know what planet they're on, but in this planet, I see people absolutely need to see the demonstration power. Otherwise, you know, Paul, when he said, you know, I didn't come to you with wise words, I didn't come to you with a slick tongue, but I came to you with demonstration power of the Holy Spirit. The aforementioned Reinhard Bonnke that I was talking about, he had thousands and thousands of people healed in his ministry. And you know what? I don't know that he preached on healing all that much. He, I, I heard him say one time he's in heaven. Now he passed away a few years ago, but I was at one of his uh, meetings and he said, you know, most of the time I am preaching salvation and I'm preaching the baptism and the Holy spirit. Those are the two things I preach. And he had a heavy German accent and I could try to, I could try to imitate him, but I would sound like a big dork. So I'll I'll avoid that, but he had an awesome voice, but in his meetings, people would get saved and then just like. Raekwon, like spontaneously, people would be holding up walkers and wheelchairs and crutches. There'd be blind and deaf people coming to the stage saying, God opened my eyes, God healed my hearing and the power of God. You see, those things follow the preached gospel of Jesus Christ. It's normal, it's natural. If that's not happening, we need to question ourselves. That doesn't mean we're going to see a profound miracle every time someone gets saved. But by and large, we need to see the confirmation of the gospel when the gospel, not pop psychology, not Jesus with the Bible verse and and talk about some social issue, but genuine gospel is preached. There should be signs that follow that. We have been called to a power ministry. I want to tell you there is no gospel without peril, uh, power. And sometimes it puts you in peril. But God takes care of you. Sadly, many people think that Christianity is just coming to church to get some self-help principles. You know, I'm bummed I lost my boyfriend this week. Tell me something that'll make me feel better. I got the perfect word for you today. I'm sad the stock market lost 1,000 points this week, and my retirement took a dive, and I'm depressed now. Pastor, make me feel good, Okay? Someone's like, Pastor, if you use that voice again, we're going to shoot you right there. Right in the head. Kind of like a throwback to the Valley Girl thing of the 80s. I'm sorry. But a lot of people think that's what Christianity is. I'm going to come and I'm going to get some self-help principle that maybe I can pull myself up by my own bootstrap, so to speak, to get through another week. But I want to tell you, the gospel is an experiential knowledge. It's an experiential encounter with Jesus Christ. We don't need more principles. We need the power of God unleashed in our life. We We need the experience of Jesus. We need an encounter that wrecks us, that causes us to walk out of this room or walk out of our prayer time and we're not going back to the same old life we're not going back to the same secret sin we're not going back to texting people we shouldn't be texting anymore right I could just go down the list but there is a change there's a transformation that's the gospel I love what Paul said to the Corinthians Corinthians get kind of a bad rap in some circles what people don't realize while they're bagging on the Corinthians, they fail to see their own church. <laughs> Corinthians weren't perfect like us. First Corinthians four. Nineteen. This is what Paul said. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out. Not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. Paul said, hey, there's some people I know in your church, and they're talking this big game. They're talking this big game that hey, they're these big Christians and they're He said, you know what? When I'm able if I'm able to come, he said, I'm not gonna be listening to their talk. I'm gonna look, I'm gonna know them by their power. Wouldn't that be interesting today? We're no longer longer recognize people's salvation based on a bracelet they wear or a t shirt they have. But when I look at their life, will I see the power in their life that jesus christ being resident inside brings you see that's what we're going for my friends a lot of people make a claim i know jesus oh yeah i'm a christian but paul said we're not gonna we won't know him by their talk we're gonna know him by their power verse 20 for the kingdom of god does not consist of talk but of power. <laughs> I think some people forgot about this verse. I think we want to fall back to the one verse. We know Well, Jesus said, you'll know them by their love. True. But we have to take all the Bible. The Holy Spirit through Paul also said, we'll know them by their power. It's easier to conjure up fake love than it is fake power. I love you, brother. <laughs> Just let that sit there for a minute. Just ponder that. To give you a little context. As we know, verse 20, for the kingdom of God is not talking about power. Yeah. Do you know he's talking about you and me? <laughs> you see, I found on my own devices, I can, I can talk a pretty good game. There are a lot of people we can get on Facebook, we can talk a good game. We get among friends, we can talk, we can put a lot of gloss on, can't we? Put a little shine on it. Look how spiritual I am. But it comes down to the power that we're walking in, my friend, is evidence that Jesus Christ is inside us and he's changed our life. That's why truly saved people can say, I used to be an adulterer, but now I'm not. I used to be a thief, but now I'm not. I used to be a liar, but now I'm not. I used to be in pornography, but now I'm not. I I, I, I used to fill in the blank, but now I'm free. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, now I see. You see why they wrote that. Why he wrote that song, right? People are having encounters that. Change them. Preaching, my friends, is to be an encounter with God. Praying is to be an encounter with God. Worship is to be an encounter with God. When we come to the altar, and I know, you know, we call this the altar, but as somebody, Dylan, maybe pointed this out, he's right. There's only one altar, and it's in heaven. But we use that term metaphorically for the area where you can come and seek God and receive prayer. Everything we do is to be an encounter. That's why worship is important. I know in some places worship is treated as a little 30-minute buffer till we get to the really important stuff. We do not believe. We reject that at this church. Worship is just as important as everything else because it's all an opportunity to encounter the living God. Paul said the gospel is power in Romans 1.16. I'm coming in for a landing here in a moment the gospel has the power to bring itself to pass it is the power of god unto salvation paul said in romans 116 this is why that guy that came to jesus in the middle of the night in john chapter 3 right nicodemus he said jesus what must i do What do I need to do to go all in with you? You notice that Jesus didn't say, Nick, I need you to become a Christian. He didn't say that. He didn't say, Nick, I need you to get saved. He didn't say that. He didn't say, Nick... I need you to become a Christ follower. What did he say? He said, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Why did Jesus say born again? I, I believe the term born again is the greatest phrase we'll use in describing salvation. Here's why. Because if someone says they're a Christian today, that doesn't mean a whole lot anymore. When someone says they're a Christian, you have to say, what kind of Christian are you? Because there's some who make the claim and there's some that say that, but yet they don't believe what the Bible teaches or describes what a a follower, a believer, a Christian is. And so you have to find out. Someone says, well, I'm a Christian. What kind of Christian are you? That's always a question that follows that. And I would say the name Christian carries a lot of baggage today. In fact, and you look at man, what's happened the past couple of years. It's even when people tried to shift it to Christ follower, right? About 20 years ago, 25 years ago, people are saying, well, I'm actually a Christ follower. I'm not a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. Well, we, we've had a lot happen amongst Christ followers the last couple of years that have been a huge black eye, right? We had an extremely popular apologist be exposed as a sexual abuser and adulterer right after he dies. We've had multiple high profile megachurch pastors have moral failures, affairs, abuse leg, leg allegations recently. All this is recent. One popular organization worldwide, if I said the name everybody would know, has had multiple pastors, including the founder, including this mega church organization, have very high profile moral failures, abuse allegations, abusing women, sexually abusing women. I want to tell you and I'm only talking about the Protestant side of things. There was a recent report that since the 1950s, there have been over 300,000 cases of sexual abuse in the Catholic Church. It's certainly not hard to see why not only people are leaving church, but why people are hesitant to use the term Christian or even Christ follower today. That's why Jesus didn't say become a Christian. He didn't say become a Christ follower. Because, you know, even even an attempt to disassociate with the baggage of the word, even that term can mean a hundred different things. If you're a Christ follower, you could just believe Jesus is a good teacher or a good man from history. Or you might like certain parts of his teaching. But my friends, if you say you're born again, people will look at you and say, Oh, you're one of those people. Because you can't get born again and everything stay the same. You can't be born again in it's status quo. You can't be born again and just continue in the old. There is something that has changed you and transformed you. And you are different. That's why when you are born again, my friend, there is something different that has happened to you. You didn't like a pastor one day and pledge your allegiance to him, and you come forward and said a prayer. You didn't decide you liked how warm the coffee was and soft the donuts were. By golly, I'm going to become a Christian. You had an encounter with God where the old part of you died and the new part of you was resurrected and you are not the same. And it may not even be the friendliest church you've ever been in. It may not be the fanciest place you've ever been, but you had an encounter with Jesus Christ that changed you. You've been born again. I can tell you a little bit about born. I don't want to say I'm a born expert, but I did watch all three of my children be born. I want to tell you something, my friends, I'm not an expert in having babies, but I'm an expert in watching them be born. I want to tell you, born is not neat and clean. Born is not pretty. Born is a lot of things, but one thing it is for sure. Born is powerful. Born is unbelievable. My first experience with my wife Julie, with our very first one, was amazing. I was a good husband. I went to something, I don't know if they even do them anymore. I went to Lamas classes. Do they even do Lamas classes anymore? I don't know. They do? That was my first exposure to video of what I'm about to see. And I'm like, Dear Lord. And so I learned all of these breathing exercises to do with my wife. When we got in the situation, I want to tell you, it ha- it didn't do any good. It lasted five seconds. Okay. Okay, enough of that. We're in the birthing room, and we had a lady down the hall, had a lady down the hall giving birth. It sounded like somebody was shooting her in the head. It's like, dear Lord, this is a rough place to be. This birthing zone here. Woo! Somebody wasn't having an easy time. Here's my wife, she's a trooper. She decided she and she did all three of our kids natural, no medicine. Although I will say, halfway through that first one, she was tempted to go to the medicine. But she did not. We breathed, we squeezed. Everything. The nurse said, hey, if you really want to help her, you'll take the palm of your hand and you'll put it like right here in her lower back and push. And, so I get to... and my wife said, yeah, that helps. <laughs> Could you just hold that pose? I got it. Like, if I was known I was just there to provide counter pressure, I could have brought some vice grips from my garage and just kind of clamped them. There, how's that, honey? Been a lot easier. So there we were. The baby was starting to come because my wife would have these pains, right? Contractions. And it'd be like, ah! And it was like, it's disturbing to hear that. These contract a baby's about to come, right? For you guys that haven't experienced this yet, bones are moving inside of her hips. That's why it hurts so bad. Bones are moving. If you have bones moving, that's painful. I'm glad it's Mother's Day. I'll get it passed on talking about all this. Julie's in the nursery should say, honey, don't be too graphic, okay? do not tell all the details. <sighs> don't worry, sweetheart, I won't. And so I, I could tell at one point like uh, the pace of the nurses they got a little more frenetic, and the doctors, you know, the doctor comes walking in, and I go, okay, I, I think something's happening. Like I, I, I could tell you at all what's was, was going on, but I knew nothing, right? I like, I, I okay. So I kind of figured that it was was time to, like, get into the position to watch the baby come out. Like, I I felt like an umpire over the catcher's shoulder, right? I went behind home plate. Here's the doctor. And here I am. Hey, come on. Ball one. Get it. Ready? Grab it. And I looked, and here's a little head. And my wife gives it a couple of pushes, and all of a sudden, this incredible creature comes out and she's covered with all of this like white stuff and and it, it um, there's blo- I mean there's just like Oh man, like I said, a birth is not neat. It is not pretty. But I want to tell you, I sat there in that moment and I looked at that little pink baby and tears began to fill my eyes because I realized I had witnessed something that is powerful. There was something. And every child I had, I had the same tears. And I realized it is messy. It's sloppy. It's stuff everywhere. And you're like, dear God, are we going to survive this? And suddenly you have the most beautiful thing thing you're holding and you realize born is powerful born is powerful and i realize my friend it is the same way when a person comes to jesus christ they are made new they are born again there is power that comes from the throne room of god that restores people and gives them a new heart and causes them to be born again Oh, Lord, help us. We preach with Pentecostal power because the message we have is transformational and the mission we have is apostolic. Stand and lift your hands with me today right now. In the name of Jesus, God, I pray Your presence, Your glory would fill this room. In the name of Jesus, In the name of Jesus. Oh Lord. Hallelujah. Friends that's why when you've been born again there is something inside of you that cries out for the more of God. You long to see more of God's power displayed. You long to see more of His presence. Once you've experienced this you can't be satisfied with self-help sermons anymore. Once you've tasted the glory of God you're ruined for religion. You can't be born in the fire and satisfied with the smoke any longer. When you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, you are baptized and fire and you will never be the same again. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This message and other resources are available at DestinyDayton.com